Welcome to Beyond Bite Wings, the business side of dentistry, brought to you by Edwards & Associates PC. Join us as we discuss how to build your dental practice, optimize your income, and plan for your future. This podcast is distributed with the understanding that Edwards & Associates PC is not rendering legal, accounting, or professional advice. Listeners should consult with their business advisors before acting on any of the information that is shared. At Edwards & Associates PC, our business is the business of dentistry. For help or more information, visit our website at enassociates.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond Bite Wings. In today's episode, we are actually going to turn the table, you know, instead of having a guest over that we're going to be asking questions to, we're going to have a guest who will be asking us the questions. And when I say us, within the studio, we have, of course, myself, Ash, and Lynn. Hi, Ash. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Lynn? Good. To be honest, you know, I'm actually a little bit nervous for today's episode. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fair, because <laughs> we're going to be put on the spot. Right? So this is probably what it feels like for the guest whenever they come on our episode. Probably, except we're in charge of the production, so we can just edit out all the ones we don't know the answers to. Ah, good point. <laughs> See, that that helps. That helps. To ask us the questions, we have Dr. Giancarlo Americh. How are you, doctor? How are you, Ash? How are you, Lynn? Good. It's nice to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So Dr. Americh is a prosthodontist who operates out of Houston. He's got his own practice, and we figured he would be a good candidate to ask us some of the uh, common questions a dentist may have. And I feel like, you know, putting it all on a podcast episode may help out a lot of our listeners or even maybe to our clients that we could just forward this episode to. That's very true. Very true. These, a lot of these questions that I feel like are going to come up are Things that we get asked a lot in early practices, young practices, um, as they're trying to figure out what's deductible and what they can do and what's allowed and things like that. So, absolutely, I think absolutely. it'll be helpful. Absolutely. So, Dr. Americh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, you said, as you said, I'm I'm here in Houston, located. I'm a prosthodontist. I have my practice in Cypress, Texas, which is like 25, 30 minutes from Houston. My specialty is based on cosmetic dentistry, dental implants, full mouth rehabilitation. I graduated from the University of Puerto Rico in 2017. And, well, I've been working in my private office since, and that's it. Nice. So, you know, you graduated in 2017, so that's, what, five years? And then, you know, you've been working ever since, and then now you have your own private practice. You are the ideal candidate to ask us these questions. Yes. In fact, that's why, I mean, are you prepared? Because I have a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah. That's a good question. Well, I guess we'll find out, yes. huh? Yes. <laughs> Let's see. All right. So whenever you're ready. Well, I always have this kind of question regarding the equipment. I did one buyout recently, so I got some new equipment and I want to know which equipments could be deducted from tax return, and especially in one year, and if the price of that equipment matters. Ah, I see. Well, the short answer is yes. It is possible to deduct all the equipment, as long as the equipment is being purchased to be used to produce. And what I mean by that is uh, the equipment needs to be used to create revenue. 
that can be then it can be deducted and the price is of no matter now going back to that one year thing it can be done like i said yes the uh, the answer the short answer is yes however we have to go through some hoops to get there because an equipment is not really an expense right it's it's an asset it needs to be categorized as an asset but it can be deducted via something called depreciation over a set period of years now when we file the tax return there are some accelerated depreciation methods such as bonus depreciation or section 179 which we can use to possibly deduct the whole thing in one year or in other words take the full depreciation on the asset in the year it has been placed in service but again this is something i would recommend you or any of our listeners to basically consult with your accountants before it can be done because sometimes the situation may be different and that may not be the ideal way to go about it or it can be done so it's always good to have some professional advice before taking that step. Yeah, I would concur with that. Uh, there are some times when you would not want to take that deduction immediately where it could provide a better benefit in a future year or it might be limited, it's subjected to uh, some limitation rules. But by and large, you're going to get the deduction in the year that you buy it if you want it, provided it's all structured properly. And regarding the price, I would also add that uh, anything under typically $2,500 is called de minimis. And so that level of equipment, it, it, we're going to call that a, an expense and not an asset. Those can be categorized straight supplies. So then those are, those are just straight deductible in the year that you buy them. Right. And that's an election we do on the tax right. return. Okay. I got it. Okay. Thank you. So did that help? <laughs> yes, yes, a lot. <laughs> okay, good, good. How about my car? I, I want to know if it's a luxury lease, can I deduct it from the tax? <laughs> That's a popular question. It's a very popular question. And Ash is the car guy, so yay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Lynn. All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Okay, so the number one thing you have to first identify here is the car, right? The vehicle. Will there be any business use of it, right? Uh, and then if there is, then the business use percentage of that vehicle is what can be deducted. And then when I say the vehicle's cost, it's not just the cost of the vehicle, but also the associated operational cost that can be de deducted. But before I go into it further, there are a few things to keep in mind. Uh, for instance, like for tax purposes, you can either take the mileage rate deduction or the actual expense deduction. And uh, for most practice owners, the actual expense is always higher. So let's talk about that. Actual expenses include basically all your vehicle operational expenses, such as gas, tolls, repair and maintenance, etc. And what we do as CPAs is that we look at your total combined expense annually, and then we apply a business use percentage to calculate the deductible amount for the year. Now, the business use percentage has to be reasonable, and honestly, it varies by profession. So, for instance, a construction company with a truck that is solely being used for, you know, hauling construction materials can be fully deducted for 100% business use. However, for someone like you, for a dentist, IRS will only allow to about, I would say, 25% of business use of the vehicle per location. For a single practice, right. For a single oh, practice, okay. right. And honestly, it doesn't matter what kind of vehicle it is. Now, that, so that's for the actual expense portion. Now, let's talk about the mileage rate deduction. 
the mileage deduction makes more sense when you drive a lot. Now you, you're a practice owner, so driving to and from from the practice is actually called commuting miles. That's not business miles, right? That cannot be deducted. Anything outside of that, so for instance, let's say if you're driving to a vendor's location to look at some equipment or to buy some supplies or you're driving to your CE location, those kinds of miles that you've racked up can be deducted through the mileage rate. But again, like I said, for a practice owner, that's not a lot. However, if you're, let's say, an associate doctor, right, who has multiple associateships, who has to go to all these practices that they don't own, all of those miles can be added up. And then when we apply the mileage rate to it for the year, I believe for 2022, it's like 62.5 cents. A lot of times that amounts to more than the actual expense. So, you know, in their scenario, it might make more sense to use the mileage deduction as opposed to the actual expense. Going back to your original question, can I deduct my car? Absolutely. But how we go about that deduction will vary by the profession and on a case by case situation. And the luxury car, <laughs> dentists love luxury cars. <laughs> they do. <laughs> you know, um, and as long as you can put it to some business use, sure. Okay. So speaking, if, if you don't yes. mind me asking, was there a particular car you were looking at? <laughs> no, no. It's purely <laughs> hypothetical. <laughs> yes, it's hypothetical. It's not me. No, no, no. Okay. Not at all. Okay. <laughs> Just okay. to learn. Okay. All right. So, of course. <laughs> speaking about cars, I mean, do you think it's better for me to lease or buy a car? Should be this under the company name or my name? Good question. And also another popular question. Excellent and question. it actually goes back to the point I made earlier. You know, Iris will only allow up to like 25% of business use of a vehicle per location. So whenever we're trying to determine whether it's better to buy or lease, we also need to see how many locations are there that the owner owns, right? And how many vehicles are being used. So for instance, if there's only one vehicle that's being used for, let's say three locations, right? At that point, if you're taking about 25% per location, it adds up to 75%. Now, why is that important? Because when you do your tax return, there's a special thing that you can utilize, a special kind of depreciation you can utilize whenever you're business use percentage is more than 50%. Now, when you just have only one practice, you can't utilize that. You have to take the traditional route of depreciating your vehicle. So at that point, it's not that great, at least not from a cost standpoint of the vehicle, to buy a vehicle. You may do better if you're leasing, if you're a single practice owner. Yeah, okay. it, if you're a single practice owner, it comes down to really whether it's personally better to lease or buy from a cash flow standpoint, because the tax situation is not that beneficial. So that becomes really more of a financial decision at that point. Mm -hmm. And then your question about the vehicle, whether it should be owned by the company or personally. Well, here's the thing. If you own the company 100% at that point, I would say it's always better to put it under your personal name because the insurance rates you're going to get is going to be much cheaper than the company. Yeah, because that's a pitfall that people do. They'll buy the car in the company name, but they don't insure it in the company name. And so what will happen is if there's an accident or an incident, the insurance company will say, why well, we did not know this was a commercial vehicle and we're not paying this claim because this was uh, this this incident happened in a business situation and this was not a business car. So you have oh. a risk of the insurance company not paying claims if it's not 
uh, insured properly. So if you buy it in the business name, you have to insure it as a business or a commercial vehicle, and then your insurance rates are likely to be much higher. So considering the fact that the depreciation on a car is not going to be typically very much, uh, it's pretty limited in most situations. Maybe the first year it might be beneficial. Generally, it's going to be better from a tax standpoint to put it in your personal name, insure it personally. Those are going to keep your costs down and then make those payments out of the business and just apply the business use percentage to it. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. Now, if, if I deduct my car, do I have to keep track of the mileage? I know that you went through a letter with that, but do I have to since I'm using it? For my office? Again, it depends. I mean, uh, like I said, you can either take the actual expense or the mileage rate deduction, and typically we take whatever well, is higher. You're speaking from a very practical standpoint, and that is the practical answer, and that's correct. Uh, the the actual answer, I mean, from an IRS perspective, the answer is yes. You've got to have your mileage log. <laughs> you have to be tracking it. If you want the deduction, if the deduction is audited, examined, then you're going to have to prove it. Now, that's very unlikely to happen. Mm, okay. So from a practical standpoint, it's not worth the trouble for the deduction that you're going to get to go to all that extensive trouble. For the, the, even with the increased audits that we're expecting, you still, it's still a long shot that you're going to be audited on something like this. So if you don't have that mileage log, you're probably going to be disallowed the deduction. But it is very unlikely to be looked at if you're taking a modest deduction. Uh, versus 100%. And so it's just not something that most people think is worth their time. So practically speaking, it's not necessary. Mm -hmm. And then these days, you know, you have devices and apps out there that make it a lot easier. That's true. Very true. So you don't necessarily need to have like a physical log in your glove compartment where you're jotting down miles. I believe there's an app called Mile IQ on Apple and Android that you could just download. You just push a button on the app before you start. And then whenever you stop, you push it off. Yeah, and I think you have the problem these days also is that if we if we truly took a look at the business mileage that people are driving versus historically, historically we can justify quite a bit. But That's today, true. people aren't driving to the bank. People aren't driving to the post office. Mm-hmm. People aren't driving to CE. All of those things are online. So once you start adding it up, the reality may be there's not just a whole lot there when you can't deduct your to and from the office mileage. So sometimes it's better just to not know and take the risk that it might be thrown <laughs> out of your eyes. Yeah. Okay. And do you think it's legal if I deduct that car if it's if I have a ten ninety nine? So if you're an associate rather than a business owner, is that Yes, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's perfectly legitimate. As Ash was was saying, it might even be more legitimate because if you're working in one office, it's practically the same as if you were a business owner. But if you're working in multiple offices and you don't have a, quote, tax home where you're, say, one day a week, you're going to five different offices, then you don't have a tax home. All of those miles are then legitimate and deductible. So very, very legal, probably more supportable than being a business owner. Absolutely legitimate. Okay. Okay. Got it. Well, now speaking about other subjects, <laughs> if I do some fixtures in my practice, I'm changing some images right now, like some aspects. Uh, is some renovation. Is this renovation and fixture deductible? I mean, how about if I add something extra, like an extra room or extra operatory or maybe I make a big modification to this layout. Is this a still deductible? That's a great question. Oh. And the answer is 
yes, it is deductible. The rate over which it's deductible varies depending on the circumstances. So if you okay. are renting your space, and especially if that space is over over three years old, if it's not brand new space, if it's brand new space, that's going to limit uh, the rate at which you can deduct it. And it's basically going to be over 39 years, it's not going to add up to much. So if it's brand new construction, um, that's going to be very limiting. But you're talking about renovating, which implies you've, yes. you've been there. And so the practice and the structure was existing and you're just doing some interior modifications, maybe adding on Correct. a repertory. But if you're not changing the footprint of the building, if you're only talking about inside the, the structure, inside the shell, that's going to be pretty immediately deductible. And so okay. depending on how that's financed and how the, the money layout for that goes, whether it comes from profit or from a loan and how that loan is structured, that's going to be um, deductible. Right now, it would be deductible in full in the current year. Those rules are changing so that there's going to be some limitations. It may only be 80% deductible, et cetera, and decreasing a little bit as the years go by. But it'll be much faster than over 39 years. So you're going to get it much more rateably uh, than you would if it was new construction. Okay, I got it. Now, regarding to the benefits, do you think there is a real benefit if I use an S-Corp uh, compared to a 1099? I mean, let's talk about if you let, you make less than $3,000. If you make less than $300,000 as a, as mm -hmm. a contractor, as an associate, basically, and not as Correct. a business owner? Correct. Yeah, they're... Likely is not. 300000 is about the threshold where it becomes more beneficial. Now, this can change. There, there are scenarios in which this answer would change. But from a kind of a general standpoint, the answer used to be $200,000 would be more beneficial to be an S-Corp. That's kind of where we would advise people switching over from a Schedule C from plain 1099 to an S-Corp. When they enacted the QBI deduction, 1099A deduction, whatever you want to call it, what, however you know it by, that sort of changed that threshold to 300000 because we find that under 300000 the cost, the additional cost of doing accounting work, taxes, um, and the lost QBI deduction for that S-Corp offsets the benefit. So you, you kind of get more of a benefit or the same benefit on your personal tax return at about the $300,000 mark is where you start losing tax benefit versus the cost to maintain that separate entity. So there is a cost involved to, to changing over to an S-Corp. And it is almost not worth it up to that point. Between two and 300,000 is where it becomes, it starts to become more beneficial. After 300,000, it's absolutely beneficial. You're gonna save money by switching it over. So it just depends on uh, on kind of where you fall. But generally speaking, under 200,000, it's almost never cost effective. Uh, between two and three, it's it's borderline, but possibly not, and over three is when is when it becomes most beneficial. How about if, if you do that, let's say that you do more than $300,000, but you are the owner of, of your own practice. Mm -hmm. Still is beneficiary to do the 1099? So you own your own practice and, and the income on that practice is 300000 over or under? Is that the question? I mean, what I said is if I have a, let's say that I do have that income, and I am an employee of my my PLLC. Mm -hmm. Is 
it's kind of uh, worth it to do it a ten ninety nine still since I am the same owner. Since you're the the, on, the only owner and the only employee. Yeah, yes. it's it's the income of the entity, uh, and basically that's you. It's kind of one and the same. So the ten ninety nine income that you would make from the associateship, that's what you're using to monitor the threshold, not what you're making as an employee of that entity. So what you're bringing in from the contract work, that's what you're using to gauge the threshold, not what you're making personally from that income. Oh, okay. Now, is any tax benefits to my practice. I'm thinking to offering 401k next year. So is there any tax benefit if, to my practice if I offer offer that 401k uh, for my employees? Of course, of course, there's a benefit. I mean, aside from, you know, just providing an additional employee benefit to your employees, there's, there's a huge tax benefit. In fact, if you were to ever ask me, hey, what are some of the big big tax savings that you can tell me of that I can implement, retirement would definitely be up there. Now, 401k is definitely one of those vehicles you can utilize. Now, as an owner, especially when you're starting out, there may be another vehicle to look into. A popular one that we always recommend is SEP, Self-Employed Pension Plan. And then afterwards your advisor or we may ask you to move over to a 401k. Now, what are some of the attributes that we need to look at and focus on before we can make that decision? It purely boils down to the tax benefit, right? So the higher the deduction, so basically what we're going to do is we're going to do an analysis. We're going to see the cost of implementing that uh, retirement vehicle, whether it's a SEP or a 401k versus the tax benefit. And whichever has the higher benefit that's the one we're going to be recommending you to utilize. Now, I know I mentioned SEP a little bit, and I let me talk a little bit about that, and then I'll switch over to your 401k. A lot of times, you know, SEP has these requirements, right? So when you first set up a SEP, the company that's going to help you, the pension plan provider, is going to ask you what are some of the things that you would want to implement in your SEP plan, right? Whenever you go with the default setting, typically the employee has to uh, be because assuming that you're not the only one working, right, you have other employees, if they've been working for a set period of time, they may become eligible. And at that point, you as the employer may need to also fund their retirement plan along with yours. So when we're talking about the cost of setting up a retirement plan, in this case, the SEP, it's not just the amount of money that you'll be paying to your pension plan provider. It's also going to be the amount of money that you'll be putting into your employee's SEP plan. Right. And then we're also going to see, okay, so when we include the deduction from the SEP contribution, how much tax benefit is this client going to receive? If we see that the benefit is less than your cost, that's when we'll say, okay, maybe SEP is not the the best vehicle for you to utilize. And that's when we're going to prompt you to, okay, maybe we should look into a 401k. Now, the 401k, as you mentioned, does it have any tax benefits? Absolutely. Now, the 401k is like how should I put it? It's it's like a bucket with numerous balls, right? And all of these balls are like different kinds of uh, little things that go into a 401k. You could have a very basic 401k where it's just like, you know, deferrals only. And then there's match, additional match. And then, you know, if you want to go above even more, you can add a cash balance or a profit sharing. Depending on how many balls you have in that bucket, the more you can contribute, the higher your deduction. Right. And the higher your deduction, the better your tax benefit. 
But understand this, that you also have to look at the cash flow of your practice. How much money can you afford to actually put into your 401k every year? Because something like a cash balance is actually at least a three-year commitment, right? So maybe one year you had a great year, you did a few big cases and you're thinking, oh, maybe I'm ready to do a cash balance plan in my 401k. And you tell your uh, pension plan provider, okay, yeah, let's do the cash plan. You know, you provided me multiple illustrations. Let's go with one that has that and I'll fund the 100000 but then you know very well that maybe the following year, it's not going to be that, that great. And you may not have the $100,000 to fund your 401k. So whenever you're looking at the different things that encompasses a 401k, I always say, look at your cash flow, your cash reserve that it is currently, and it will be for the following at least two years, and then make the right choice. Now, if you have a good pension plan provider, they should be giving you multiple options with your 401k, going over those options with you. And then um, you basically forward those options to your CPA or someone like us. And what we'll do is we know your tax return, your tax bracket, we'll be able to tell you what the exact tax benefit would be for each of those options. And then you just go with the one that works best for you. Okay. Now, if I, that, let's say it's better, can I, can I have a 401k if I'm a 401k solo, if I have a PLLC? <laughs> well, it depends, right? I mean, are you the only one who's working there, or do you have employees? And I no, think that would be the question. That would that would be the determining factor primarily. Mm. So, yeah, if you are, especially if you are the only employee, a solo four hundred one k is a great option because you okay. can get to the maximum funding at a at a lower salary level. I'm not a proponent of lower salary levels, but sometimes in the early years of being a contractor, that's where you are. That's just where you are. So we do advise funding for retirement as soon as you're possibly able. So to be able to fully fund at those lower levels is a good advantage, and that's why we like the solo 401k. Once the income into the practice or the if you're an associate, same thing. Once the income gets much higher, then salary isn't a problem. There's not a lot of tax savings to keeping your salary low. So a higher salary is, is fine. You can still fully fund uh, with a traditional 401k. It wouldn't have to be a, a solo 401k. And once you have eligible employees, a traditional 401k just makes more sense. But if you're, especially if you're the only employee, it's a very good option in the early years, maybe all the years, because you can still pay yourself higher, but you can get to the maximum at something more in the range of 150000 That That may be an old number, but it, it's somewhere in that range versus a traditional 401k to get the maximum deduction. This is irrespective of a cash balance plan. Those are much larger deductions, but a traditional 401k with a profit sharing option, a safe harbor option your salary is going to have to be in the range of $250,000, $260,000 to get those maximum deductions. So it, it is more versatile in that manner. Okay, I got it. So my last question will be, if you can give me some strategies uh, to get the most out of my deductions uh, from my practice. Okay, first and foremost, phew. <laughs> That's a big one. <laughs> That's the last question. I and his last question is a big one. <laughs> Yeah, we could talk a lot about that, I think, but it basically comes down to anything you buy for your practice that's, quote, ordinary and necessary, the IRS does have that qualification, then it's going to be deductible. It's going to be deductible in some manner, whether it's the year in which you spent it or in the next, say, six years over depreciation, 
But generally speaking, you're going to get that deduction in the year in which you buy it, especially if it's a, a smaller priced item. But even if it's a big item, equipment, something like that, if you structure it properly, you're going to get that deduction. Now, that's the key. So if you're financing something, uh, if it's a big ticket item that you have to finance, structuring it properly is probably the biggest importance because there are a lot of things that would be deductible under normal circumstances that if it's not properly structured will be limited by IRS rules. You have to have income to take certain deductions. So say your profit is sitting right at zero because all the money in you've spent, whether it be on supplies or salary to yourself, that's you know, that's really profit in your pocket, but to the IRS, that's a net profit of zero. So if you're sitting at zero and then you buy an intro-all camera that costs $65,000, if you don't structure that properly, you're not going to get that deduction. So you can't take 179 on it. All you're eligible for would be bonus this year because of IRS rules. And the only way you're going to get that is if you have tax basis for it. So it gets very complicated, but just all you need, really need to remember is that when you go to buy something like that, don't sign those loan documents without talking to your CPA. There may be no need to structure it specifically, and, and you may be fine if your practice has a long history or if it's been very profitable. You probably don't need to do anything special. But if you're constantly pulling out all the profit, if you're taking distributions, if, you're, if it's a young practice, you probably don't have the tax basis for it. And so you need to structure it properly to ensure that you get that deduction. You'll get it eventually, but if you want it then, if you don't do it right, you're not going to get it. So I would just advise you if you're buying something big to check it out first before you sign on the dotted line. Okay. Thanks. Great tips. Yeah, no, seriously, Lynn. Thank yes, you. great tips. Thank you. Thank you for those are for, great for questions. I, I will say those were excellent questions, and they are ones that we do hear quite a bit. Retirement and cars being the top two questions. I agree. And okay. what can I deduct? That's the third one. And that That's one's hard. Good. It's anything that you need for the practice. It's deductible. Need okay. need being the keyword. Sometimes want more than two thousand five hundred dollars. Right. Correct? Right. Okay. Well, I think that's my last question. I don't have any more. It <laughs> so was a far. pleasure to talk to you. I hope uh, I hope we helped you. <laughs> of course you did. Both it, of course. Thank you. Yes. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Amrich, again, for being on our show and for coming up the, with the questions to ask us. Yes. Um, I know I had a lot of fun. Well, thank you again for being on our show. And for our listeners out there, if you guys have any questions or any inquiries to make about our episode today, please feel free to reach us at info at eandassociates.com. And that's and with an A-N-D. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to Beyond by Wings on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, or reach out to us on our website. You can also shoot us an email at info at eandassociates.com.